Welcome to A State of Mind. This is Julian Royce. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have a great episode today. First, a few announcements and some housekeeping and updates. This is going to be the first episode of a season three of A State of Mind podcast. And I suppose as the creator of the podcast, I just get to determine that. But here we are in 2022, a new year. And I have a lot of great episodes coming up in the near future for all of you. And so, yeah, this is going to be season three, episode number, what is it, 97 overall. So first I wanted to share some feedback from some listeners. One listener writes, Hey Julian, I listened to your podcast episode with the Australian author yesterday on my drive to work. I really enjoyed it. Great work all around. I love the feel of the show. Thank you for that positive feedback. Always good to know you are listening and enjoying. And then another listener wrote, I listened to your podcast trans- called Transmuting Shit into Gold. That was with Soraya Leonera uh, a couple months ago. And they write, I liked it a lot. Lack of sex was a big issue for me in my relationship. I'm going to send this podcast to my girl for her to listen to it. I liked what she was saying about stress in your life affecting your body and your sex life, and that we expect it to work when we want it to, but sometimes it doesn't because you're not healthy. So thank you for that feedback. I'm really glad that was a good episode for you. And yeah, I agree. There was a lot of useful information in that one. And it's definitely true that um, when you talk about health, all these things, our physical health, our relationship health, our emotional health, and our sexuality, they're all so connected. And uh, one thing I can offer is just improving the quality of your communication in your relationship just helps everything so much. So that's always a good thing to be working on and to keep in mind. So if listening to that episode helps you to become more aware of your own health, physical health, emotional health, relationship health, your own sexuality, that's awesome. And I love hearing that and thank you for that feedback. Now I want to address a difficult situation that's come up here on the podcast. It's come to my attention that a former guest on the podcast has been accused of abuse. And I actually don't want to get into any details about it or say the names of the parties involved, Uh, for reasons that I hope are clear by the end of my discussing it here. Now, I definitely do not want to be supporting or seen as endorsing anyone who's acting unethically, especially not anyone who is uh, being abusive anyway. In fact, that's the opposite of the intention of this podcast. And so I have uh, actually reached out to that former guest and talked with him about it. And I've been in touch with the accuser via email. We've had several back and forths now about the situation. And it puts me in a tough situation. There's some new comments on the YouTube episode for it now. Some people are saying that I should put a warning up. Some people are saying I should take the episode down. Uh, And the fact of the matter is, I don't know what's true here. I've communicated with both sides. And in fact, both sides accuse the other of quote unquote narcissistic abuse. So yeah, it's just not within my job or my power or my ability to determine what fact is true here. So my thinking is that if I put up a warning on that episode or take it down, if in fact these allegations aren't true and I put a warning up about it, then I'm causing reputational damage to them and that's not ethical as far as I'm concerned on my end. Um, If the allegations are true, then hopefully there'll be an independent investigation of some sort or if new evidence comes to light, you know, that shows that then I will take the episode down and I will talk about it here on the podcast. But it doesn't seem ethical to me to do so just on the basis of these allegations. And I'm not even saying which side 
in this I believe or don't believe because I like I said I don't know so yeah it's a tough situation I'm not 100% sure what the right thing to do here is but I think at the moment this is the right thing to do which is to just leave it as it is if new information comes to light that I'm aware of then I will react accordingly I don't know what else I can say about it at this point but I wanted to address it here on the podcast so moving on for now today I'm speaking with Rosh Rosh is an artist a musician a creator and he created this amazing thing called the Blind Cafe, which we discuss in our conversation together. It is an experience in which you are put into 100% total complete darkness and they play music and you have a gourmet meal. And so you have these vivid sensory experiences, but without sight. And so for those of us who are blessed with good eyesight, our visual sense tends to dominate our experience so much. So to go enter into a space where that's taken away from you uh, can be so interesting and so potentially transformative and insightful. Um, it was really great talking with him, getting to hear about his life and his journey. And um, actually, before we get to the episode with him, I'm going to play a song of his. Here's a song from Rosh called The Crown. Shine away, 
name of that song was The Crown. And now, without further ado, I bring you Rosh. Here today with Rush. Rush, thanks for being on the podcast. I'm glad to be just doing this. Uh, no, no video, just audio. It's good. Yeah, audio is the most important. Yeah. Ah, and so, so what, were, what were we talking about? We were just talking about all kinds of stuff. Okay. I'll let you, you do it. <laughs> you are a musician, and you developed this thing called the Blind Cafe. I thought that might be a good place to introduce yourself and start off. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're tired of talking about the Blind Cafe because you've been doing it for a while, but it's a super cool event, so if you want to share about it with people. Yeah, um, actually I'm feeling kind of excited about it again. Oh, cool. Uh, the pandemic gave me a break. Was that about a two-year break? Yeah, so I was, I started the, I mean, I, I had my band, uh, I think we were called Rosh, and, uh, and one eye glass broken back then, we had, you know, a quartet, like cello, female vocals, Bass, all accompanying my songs, and yeah, um, and we were just doing a ton of house concerts. And then uh, in 2010, I had I had had this idea from visiting a a cafe in the dark in Iceland back in 2006, 2010, 2006, all those all those dates. So basically, so it was in Iceland. I was on tour, hitchhiking across uh, Iceland. I was on my second uh, house concert tour there. Huh. I had set up all these house concert tours across Europe and Ireland and uh, Germany and Norway and Iceland. And I would hitchhike from town to town, and I had contacted people to see if they wanted to put me up for a day or two and then have a house concert in their living room, invite all their friends. Oh, cool. And it went really well. Sounds like an adventure. What a way to travel. It was awesome. <laughs> and How yeah. did you get in touch with people that even asked them that? Well, that's a funny one. Uh, so for Iceland, everything's on, in Icelandic, but I could see the at sign <laughs> for emails. Uh, and so I would just go online and find like any email in Iceland I could find. And then I just like, had this like, you know, oh. copy ad that I sent to them just saying, like, I'm already going to be on tour. And, you know... Um, during this time, like, you know, would you like to host a house concert thing? Huh. And I accidentally, um, I emailed every single mayor in the, in the country of Iceland. Wow. And, like, five of them invited me to come stay with them and, and do a house concert. Wow, that's so cool. Room, yeah. You stay with five different mayors in Iceland. Yeah, except for mayors in Iceland are, like, <laughs> Did they very much, like, everyday people like you and me. They're, like... That's uh, the way it should be, right? I mean, it's, like, the one town, there's only 80 people there that live there, you know? Jeez. Or like 700 people in one town. Is it like a farming, like a village? Kind of? Yeah, there are these small little kind of farming villages and um, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of those horses. And So anyways, I was hitchhiking across Iceland and doing all these shows and staying in people's homes and oh, having late night, you know, talks about marriage, life and all these <laughs> things, you know, having tea with the mayor or something until 2 a.m. They, they could speak some English. Yeah, most of them spoke English, yeah. And uh, and I was in Reykjavik, and I was you know just walking down the street in Reykjavik with my guitar and my backpack, and I saw this really attractive uh, Icelandic 
girl that was outside of um, this building, and she had yeah. like a one of those pop up tables, uh, and on the table was all these uh, laminated cards with Braille printed on them. Oh, cool! And I was yeah. like, "Hey, what's this?" And she's like, "Oh, it's Cafe in the Dark." I was like, "What's that mean?" She goes, <laughs> "Oh, like uh, uh, you can't see anything in there. The waiters are blind, and if you want to buy anything." Uh, you have to pay for it outside here in the light. Mm-hmm. And then she get, and give the card, and then I go in there and give that to the waiter. So I paid for my coffee or whatever. I don't even know what I ordered necessarily. necessarily you know. And so I, I'm outside the building. I've got my laminated card with the braille on it, and she takes me over to this, like, fabric, like, you know, carving up this doorway. Mm. And she kind of opens it, and she kind of starts pushing me <laughs> down the hallway by myself into the dark, and... And I was like, hey, hey, like, how do I find my seat? Like, you know, and she's like, the waiter will find you. She's like, here. And she gave me a cane. Uh, I'd never met anybody who was blind. I didn't know anything about blindness. And and so I'm going down this dark hallway. It's getting darker and darker. Uh, You know, I figured enough you could take the cane and scrape it against the floor to try to see what's in front of you. And I get to this, uh, another doorway. And I open up that doorway in the fabric. And it's just this, like, wall. Of darkness, wow, and stuff. yeah, and a wall of like sound, thick black dishes clanking everywhere, people chatting away nicely. It's almost like jumping in the cold water. Yeah, you get that shock. Yeah. Then when you relax your body, you start to right acclimatize to the water temperature. Yeah, so that's a good analogy. That's how it was for me, and I actually filmed okay. that. I actually have a recording <laughs> of that black film. It's all black. Video <laughs> camera, and so I'm in the dark and hear all these people. So I'm just like, all right. So I take my cane, scrape it against the floor, and I'm walking into the cafe space, but I can't, it's literally 100% dark. I can't see my hand in front of my face or anything. Oh. And I have to, I can tell that there's some people at this table, and I'm like, are there any extra chairs? And they're like, we don't know. <laughs> and they're like, I was like, that's a good point. And I ended up finding a chair and hanging out with these uh these kids, I didn't know they were kids. Ah, that's cool. So you and connected and talked with them without for two hours them. in the dark. Yeah, and uh, they kept on uh, forgetting. They would, they changed the English for me between ah. the conversations, so I could be included. But yeah. then they'd forget because they didn't see me, <laughs> and then they remember. And, yeah, and so ah. I, I gave my you know thing to the to the waiter, I, I guess, and he brought me my coffee or whatever. And then at the end, uh, I don't even remember. I think we. The waiter helped us get out, but um, it turned out to be all these really cool, like kind of punk rock, uh, Icelandic kids, right? They played like kind of this heavy. They're musicians. So they play music in there. No, they they had a show that night, so they invited me to come do like a, an acoustic set hmm. as like a in betweener for their oh, two okay. sets of like music, and it was in this tiny little cramped apartment with like I don't know how many kids. <laughs> I they were teenagers mostly and huh. I was probably even 31 at the time and uh, and they were just like rocking and then they all stopped everybody got on the floor listened to like six of my songs like beautifully like a house concert and then went back to the second set of music and they were all like raging <laughs> it was cool that's cool man that's yeah. awesome so that's where I got the idea and that was 2006 and 7 okay and then that's uh, cool it's cool how like that image of like blackness like icy water like because there's a huge difference between that total blackness that you're talking about and, like, darkness, where you can mm-hmm. kind of see a little bit. 
Yeah. If you can't see anything, if you can't see your hand up in your face, that's a different experience. Yeah. It's a whole different ballgame. Pure 100%, organic, yeah. free-range darkness. <laughs> um, so that was 2007 or six, or whatever, when I yeah. discovered that Cafe in the Dark, and I had this idea of like, like, wow, wouldn't it be interesting to do a concert in the dark? Because at the cafe I went to, there was no like group discussion or like okay. social impact thing. It was just more like they they, tent, they set it up temporarily oh, okay. for like a disabilities week where they transform Reykjavik. Yeah. Um, so I thought, yeah, maybe, what, you, what you developed is a little bit different because you have like gourmet food and and music and yeah, well, more intentional, like everyone coming together, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for me, I wanted to see. My first thought was. And it, and it happened in the dark at the, at the, in Iceland. It was, um, wow, I wonder what it would be like to be able to, like, let, could, would I be able to let go hmm. um, and be more vulnerable and real on a performance if I didn't have all the visual stimuli? Yeah, interesting. Right? Yeah. And then, like, and then it kind of moved to thought, well, how could the listener experience music uh, without the social etiquette and, like, the eye contact? Like, yeah. Um, and so I originally wanted to do a concert in the dark and uh i think it was 2009 hmm. uh, fall 2009 right before i graduated at naropa hmm. i was in diversity class and this woman ruth who was blind uh i don't know we were talking about different situations everybody's come up with examples of experiences they had and i, and I was like hey i went to this thing i always been thinking about doing this thing and ruthie she, uh, she was a blind woman in the class she came up to me afterwards and was like that's a cool idea She's like, I don't think I have the time to do it with you, but I'd know somebody. Yeah. And she hooked me up with this guy, Rick Hammond, yeah. who, uh, you know, ended up doing a blind cafe with me for nine years. Wow. And uh, he was a spoken word artist. He wanted to do some poetry in the dark. I wanted to do and he was, he's blind. music. Yeah, he was blind. And then my buddy Marcus, you know, he was, uh, he had a farm, and I was like, hey, you can chef it. And, and uh, yeah, we just... I don't stop me if I'm running on, but yeah, but that's how it came together. Yeah, yeah, and we we just did it as a one-off. Just wanted to do a concert in the dark. I rehearsed my band huh. for like eight weeks in closets and <laughs> practiced, and then. Uh, but it developed into this pretty big thing. That's like where you've traveled all around the country. Yeah. Have you, have you taken it internationally? Almost. Almost. Yeah. But all all around the country, and you create the Bon Cafe experience for like a weekend. Yeah, so... And you bring in people who are blind and as part of it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's it's a concert that's performed in 100% darkness that includes, like, uh, a lot of presence, a lot of, like, dropping in, sharing what's alive for us in the moment, very AR, you know, authentic-related kind of stuff, yeah. as well as... Um, that's cool. I've made friends with uh, a lot... Made several friends that are legally blind. Mm. And they do it with me. And so, like, um, yeah, it's such a long story, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, originally after I found that guy, Rick, mm-hmm. I, was, I was turned on to another local blind guy here named uh, Jerry. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he ran a, he's a coffee maker. Oh, yeah. He had a coffee shop down town Boulder. I've been to that, yeah. Yeah, so he and I went to the local, like, chapter uh, for the blind or, you know, this local organization for the blind huh. here in Boulder yeah. and we pitched the idea like hey like thinking about doing this concert in the dark but I felt like um, 
maybe the blind community would want to be part of it. But I don't know anything about blindness. I didn't want to, you know, yeah. assume. And they all kind of poo-pooed it. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, <laughs> and like, and I was there with Jerry, and Jerry loved the idea, you know. Huh. And I'm like, and we, we walked out of this meeting, because apparently, like, a lot of people have done dinner in the darks in the past, and they've huh. just, like, done it in a really terrible way that, like, hmm. makes people more, like, afraid or more disconnected to the blind community. Huh. You know? Interesting. And so... Like it freaked them out or it wasn't held well. Yeah, I mean, there's just, it's just, some people just don't do things with some level of, right. I don't know. And uh, so we walk out of that meeting and I'm like, ah, oh, Jerry, I'm like, that's a bummer. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, fuck those guys. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, we were, had, you know, we were sold out for like two days uh, of shows, 54 people a night. And, and Jerry's in the dark, like, you know, sharing about his blindness and talking about what it's like to be blind and be on acid and all this crazy <laughs> shit. And, like, my band performed in the dark. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we... I'm pretty sure he was there when I first went to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And, uh, That's and, cool, man. That's such a cool idea. And then we gave all the proceeds uh, to this local guide dog puppy raising group that raises the puppies. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And so we've been donating them for over 10 years now. Uh, you know, anything we always give something from the shows. The shows don't, are not money makers, but right. Um, it's such a cool thing because you're doing stuff for charity, basically, right? Like helping raise awareness, helping give money to organizations, and yeah, and also yeah. like giving people an experience that is so far outside of their ordinary. Like, I mean, a lot of people have an instinctive fear of pitch blackness mm -hmm. because we rely on our sight so much. Yep, I was actually. <laughs> On a, a meditation retreat a few weeks ago, and the teacher talked about, he didn't name you exactly, but he's like, I heard about this thing where they served dinner in total darkness, and he's basically mm -hmm. describing the blind cafe. Yeah. But it was in the context of him talking about how we're so captivated by our sight, our visual sense, we're so dependent on it. Yeah. Actually, much of what we see is really just our concepts. We're not even really seeing what we're seeing, we're seeing concepts. Yeah. Like, I'm seeing human, or I'm seeing Raj. Yeah. I'm not, like, noticing the actual color of your skin, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I mean, there's, like, so much there. Like, I was... <laughs> before we started recording, we were talking about Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And I was listening to a podcast he did a few days ago, and he was talking about how he can remember every single house in his neighborhood from when he was five, six years old. Wow. Like, the street he lived on, and all the houses, and how distinct they were. Yeah. And now he's lived in the same neighborhood for 20 years, but he can't uh, see in his mind or remember or even notice all the different houses on his street. Yeah. He just knows house, house, house. Yeah. Doesn't, you don't see the uniqueness. And, yeah. um, I think a big part of meditation is it's being able to like drop into like our actual sensory experience, which we, as we get older, it gets more and more covered up. Yeah. When and you're, you're a kid, you see yeah. things like, wow, look at that yeah. tree or wow, look at that yeah. thing. Or, yeah. I don't know if you've ever, like, uh, you had your car break down and then you have to walk places for, like, <laughs> a bunch of times. You start noticing everything yeah, you notice around your place. Yeah. And you start seeing the different trees and you start seeing the rock. And you start yeah. seeing the, the kid that plays in the yard and that Subaru, you know, out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's been, a, you know, slowing down like that. And so that's a good point because, so, from the outside, it looks like we're, we're doing a dinner in the dark, right? Right. Kind of, to some extent. Uh, but a dinner in the dark would be really boring. I mean, like, to me, that would be, like, lame. We take it to the next level. So more, most dinner in the dark experiences that I know of is, like, you go just like you would at a restaurant with your date, and you're brought to a table, and it's your own table. 
That was a cool part of it. There was a waiter or a human who brought you to your table and sat. Like I remember yeah. him pulling out the chair for me and helping me sit down. Yeah. Because I couldn't even see the chair. Exactly. Like, <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, if you just came with your date at a regular dinner in the dark, you sat at the table, they bring you the menu, they bring out the different, you know, courses. And it's just the two of you and there are other yeah. people, but they're, you're not interacting. Uh, with us, it's like I really wanted to, well, number one, it, the point of it was to do a concert in the dark originally. And then figured everybody should just break bread together, mm. like Thanksgiving. Because, like, what are the things that really help us connect and feel more connected and less disconnected in life? And that's that's my essential mission Food and everything bread. I do. Yeah. And um, so everybody breaks bread together at our shows uh, in the dark. We just put all the food on the table, like Thanksgiving, and people have to pass it around. And Oh, yeah, I remember. Work together, That's yeah. awkward, yeah. It's <laughs> awkward, yeah. It takes some communication and some awkwardness. And exactly. And so... And you and can feel the other... I could feel the other people. Because I, I went to it a few times. I could feel the other people's kind of like anxiety or nervousness yeah. or trying to hand me something, but I have no idea. can't see anything. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and so you're relating with somebody, but you have no visual, right? Yeah, yeah. It's super interesting. So it's so interesting. That's what's been... After doing it for 10 years, that's what's been amazing, is recognizing this relationship or, or this awareness that we start to expand our own consciousness or awareness around self and other mm. without the visual, uh, without the distraction of visual conditioning, social etiquette, without the phones. Yeah. And so yeah. you're in the dark with somebody and every, every movement you have to bring presence to. It just, it just like jars people out of like their path, like thinking in the past or, or worrying about the future. And mm. you're in the dark and you kind of have to be present, right? And uh, yeah, and however you are comfortable with being present with yourself, <laughs> yeah. in general, when you're not in a situation that you know it's uncertain, mm-hmm. uh, determines quite a quite a bit of what people experience in the dark. And so, a lot of people really get in touch with themselves, yeah. and maybe even have some presence with themselves, and where they haven't for years before. And so uh, we've had, I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of people write me long messages telling me about how, like, you know, attending your show was, like, uh, saved our marriage. You know, she's like, my husband yeah. held my hand in a way that he hadn't in 15 years. And, wow. and, yeah. and it sparked, we sparked everything. That's beautiful. And so the combination of, uh, <clears throat> provide, like, get, teaching people and creating a, creating the container for people to be able to let go of their words. Mm. We teach them active listening before they go in the dark. We have a Tibetan okay. singing bell, and we ring it, and we bring them the presence in the dark. And we basically bring them in and out of chaos. <laughs> so when they're brought to the table, everybody talks up too loud. They have no idea where the food is. They have no <laughs> idea how to relate to themselves or each other yeah. because they're in the dark. So they're just completely disoriented. But we have the blind ambassadors who are not waiters, they're, uh, but they're there to really basically help everyone like feel good. Mm-hmm. If you need it, you know, you need to get out because you're losing your shit in the dark, that's great. But the food's on the table, so we don't have, there's no like waitering, you know, for, for, really, for our really. events. And, uh, yeah. and so that, yeah, so in the beginning, it's, it's, it's like intense. And so let everybody kind of work with that chaos for about 30 minutes, and we ring the bell, bring presents, mm. and then. Uh, one of our principles is vulnerability first. Hmm. So like myself or the blind staff, we, we <sighs> drop our shoulders, they hmm. toss us in a rubber, and we just allow ourselves to be in that uh, 
vulnerable humility place, dignity and humility piece, mm -hmm. and start to open up and share. A blind staff will share about themselves and their experience with non-vision. Uh, and sometimes we do the, you know, what's alive for me moment. Oh, cool. And then we invite the audience to not just ask questions and learn about the blind staff, because there is a piece to that, uh, but to share with us what's going on for them. Or, mm. And they will say shit and ask shit. They would never say in the dark. I mean, it's never say in the light. Oh, interesting. They would say, like... You feel like people are more open? Yeah, people start to really open up and get vulnerable because they're the... in total darkness. Nobody can see them. They'll say stuff that they'd never say in a lighted setting or ask questions yeah. they never would. And um, a lot of times, you know, we're all crying with somebody. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and we had this one experience in Portland where this woman was sharing it was a beautiful share we're all crying with her she's like hmm. she's like i feel like this is the first time i've ever been in a social setting where i wasn't uh being uh, related to or seen as a overweight or a black woman first oh, wow. and it was just like whoa and then the blind staff started sharing about what it's like to meet people in the light hmm. and people see their cane and uh and get all awkward and weird because hmm. you know you see the cane and how like right. you know sometimes people don't think that you can't see them so they're just kind of like walk by you but he, a lot of some blind quite a bit have some sight you know so they can mm. see that you're I wonder if they can sense you in other yeah. ways and uh but in the dark a lot of times where you might be navigating in the dark and you meet someone and you're talking with them and you don't even realize they're one of the blind ambassadors oh wow and so yeah. they get the experience of you not being all not weird because knowing because you see the cane yeah and so they're the yeah. I love that. African American woman sharing that piece yeah. and the blind staff. And then for the musicians, like for me, as an artist, uh, uh, Radiohead, you know Radiohead? Yeah. yeah. Tom York is yeah. the main songwriter. If you ever see a video of him on stage, it's like he's having an epileptic <laughs> seizure, right? Very unusual dancer, right? Yeah. yeah, he's just like, uh, and he's just got a level of uninhibited, right. raw, vulnerable, honest neurosis. <laughs> perform like as he performs it's just remarkable yeah and so yeah. that was really inspiring for me mm. um so i could get vulnerable and open in a house concert setting mm. but uh in the dark i'm just like i'm just on stage and i just oh wow you know yeah uh, i'm uninhibited and able to deliver your body's uninhibited yeah uninhibited too yeah yeah because you're not being seen or judged exactly yeah and then the audience is ex a gift. able to really like feel their feelings yeah. And like not after like hold it back, like they're you know, they start to tear up if you like looking around. <laughs> Cause you know, you don't people don't want to show too much emotion in a lighted concert. Yeah. It's interesting because you're not seeing someone's facial expressions or if someone yeah. is tearing up, you're not gonna see it. You might yeah. not, you might not know. I I've just gotten on the floor and just bawled like a little baby to like wow. you know, when when Richie, one of the other lead uh, performing artists. Uh, uh, when he's performing this song called Darkness that he wrote <coughs> about the Black Cafe, mm -hmm. man. So I would just go cry at my own show, so it's awesome. Wow. I would literally be bawling on the floor, <laughs> right there on stage in front of Richie as he's playing the song to yeah. open the show, and then I would get up and I would perform my songs. And, mm. and that level of vulnerability and openness uh, and tapping into the music, is, it's just everything. It's inspiring to hear about. It's, it's amazing how even if you 
don't want to or have no intention to be performative. Just the act of being seen and witnessed by other people visually kind of is a kind of performance. And so taking that away, it makes sense. Like you can just be in your own experience without without being seen. Like it's just, yeah. Yep. There's so much there. It reminds me of a kind of death and rebirth or almost like even like a psychedelic experience where your perception is so changed. Mm -hmm. The other thing it makes me think about is like, I don't know how far down this rabbit hole we want to go, but like things like the distance we, you know, like we're in this like world of concepts most of the time and like seeing someone as close or far away, like it's all kind of concepts, you know, or someone's fat or someone's skinny, it's all concepts. So to take all that away, because if you hear someone's voice, if you're just in your auditory, there is a spatial kind of location to that, but it's different, right? It's yeah. like, it's, it's, yeah. There's a lot less filters and judgment, little judgmental yeah. than social it's etiquette. Not. It's remarkable. Uh, it's like you're free from all this, like, constant. It's like, a, for me, especially being ADD, I feel like constantly, like, there's 26 people talking to me at all times when mm. I walk around. So if yeah. I seem crazy, that's what's happening. Well, the- <laughs> right? Plus, all the visual stimuli yeah. and everything. So, for me, like, uh, I was, you know, bring lights down, light candles at home and uh, in the dark. It's just, it's, it's just like, it's like all this noise is just fun. Finally, <sighs> shut the fuck up. Just shut shut up. the fuck up. And then I actually can connect with self on a level that's really, really profound. And, uh, you know, we, we started, we piloted a program called uh, Dismantling Racism Discussions wow. in the Dark. Yeah. Uh, my friend Pedro Silver. Yeah, he's, he's the pastor of the First Congregational Church. Mm. So he was doing these dismantling racism discussion uh, workshops in the light. And so he wanted to do it in the dark. And I was wow. like, yeah, let's do it. And we, so we piloted that. We got some funding from the city of Boulder. I've done a couple. I piloted oh. a couples in the dark program oh, in wow. San Francisco in 2013. And people love that. Like around relationships and couples? And I had like six couples come each night for three nights and I gave them their own little nest. Yeah. And I picked a basket and I had the chef like wrap these like things like, you know, like in the pic- picnic basket and little yeah. mason jars. Yeah. We had them pretend they're camping somewhere, anywhere in the world. And then that's how you referred to the different couples. And we had, had them like uh, try to just share experiences and uh, feed each other and, and then come up with like two or three things that you've discovered through love relationship that work to help you stay in connection. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of things that you're still stumped about. And then we did a collective wisdom kind of discussion later on oh, cool. around a candle. And then we brought everybody hot cocoa and they got oh. bourbon in it. And it was awesome. That's so. <laughs> Sorry about the dog. That's, uh, that's so cool to think about with, with couples. Cause it's, that's a place where we get so hip so habituated, right? You get so used to someone else yeah. and to find ways to break out of those patterns can be oh, yeah. valuable. And and I, again, it's, it's like seeing someone new for the first time. Like that's so, like, that's so healing. Yeah. So, and, and it's true. It's authentic. You know, each moment is new and we take, people, we take ourselves, we take other people for granted. Yeah. I, I have, I want to take it to the next level at some point because that couple's in the dark. It's very PG, you know, nobody's hooking up. Right. <laughs> right. But, um, I have had a few experiences where, um, we were in Portland and we were doing three, three nights of shows. And during the day in the, in the middle, you know, the second day or whatever, the venue's there, nobody's there and it's dark. 
So, I, and I had a lover at the time, at the time in Portland. And I was like, um, so I was like, meet me at a coffee shop. We met at a coffee shop just down the street from the venue. And then I gave her instructions to, I had her enter from one side of the building and I entered yeah. from the other side of the building and we met in the dark. Wow. And we just had this beautiful like exploration mm. of each other. Mm. And, uh, and then we both left from separate entrances and then had a little time to ourselves and then we met at the coffee shop again. Oh, wow. It was, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. That's so cool to hear about, it. yeah. So I'd love to do, I think there'd be ways to help people uh, get out of their uh, subjective thinking patterns or being yeah. caught in the past or the future. Right. And through, through the darkness experience, we could help people get back to that spot and connect yeah. with self and yeah. then help them yeah. with others. And it could be anywhere from the, just remembering your feelings and, and just being with you present with each other to, to, you know, to love making and, and tantra work and stuff. Oh, wow. So I like in that story, you just shared how you entered separately and, and met in the dark. And, and then you left separately. And then you left separately. Yeah. That's yeah. that ability to connect and be with yourself is so important and that deepens your relationship with someone else. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest mistake everybody makes in relationships is a, it's like when you're not in a relationship and you get to a place where you're like, taking care of yourself well, you're doing those things yeah. that make you happy, that make you an awesome person, yeah. which some of those things that you do to make, to be an awesome person that's very attractive, uh, is to do a lot of things that you don't want to do. Mm. Right. And so then you meet somebody, you fall in love. And at least in my experience, and I, I think this is what I see in other people, but my personal experience, it's like slowly I stop, I stop like going and doing those things and need to do in order to be the awesome person I am. And a lot of the things like are not very comfortable. It's easier to just go, yeah. oh, I'm just gonna go snuggle with my girlfriend. Yeah. And so we get addicted to that, like being together thing all the time. Comfort and, and have it. Burn it out. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like, and, uh, and then you're no longer really being the person that attracted well, That's what I'm saying. Person. And then, then you have classic like, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but it's, 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 it's 80% me. And it's 80% the other person. I think 20% probably got, you know, mm. like, uh, palatability. What is that word? Uh, I know we're talking about like 80 to 20 kind of rule. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just like, at this point, I'm thinking to myself, okay, my success in any relationship doesn't, it's not going to be about finding the right person. It's going to be more about mm. 80% about me being yeah. the right person for me. Yeah, it's a and then, uh, yeah. and then compatibility, that was the word. Yeah. So, oh, it's a big topic. I think. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which couples, something you know, you could feel held back by the other person. Yeah, or you could just feel kind of locked into a certain routine. Um, but if you, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, some people might do it differently, but uh, the idea of like spending all your time together all the time—it's just like it, it would. Uh, it'd be hard because then I wouldn't be doing the, all. all the, I'd stop being doing all the things that make me. Yeah. The awesome person they were traveling to in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing you mentioned was authentic relating. And I had Jason Diggs on the podcast, oh gosh, probably a year ago, um, who wrote a book about authentic relating. I know he's good friends with you. Yeah. Um, we all, did he go to Naropa? No. No, but, but he, he, lived, he with lived with me. He lived with you when you were at Naropa. Ah, uh, yeah. When we met. Yeah. Okay. So we yeah. went to Naropa together anyway. Yeah. But authentic relating is, uh, it's just, you know, it's, I can feel that's been a big influence for you and a big part of the work that you can bring to the world to, yeah. facilitate more 
deeper, authentic connections, relations. Yeah, that's definitely going to inform a lot of, you know, how the Blind Cafe, like these different kind of spin-off programs and the, our signature experience yeah. uh, starts to evolve because yeah. uh, me and Jason actually been piloting a couple AR in the dark. Oh, cool. Authentic piloting in the dark programs. That's awesome. Man. You know, just, just talking to you now, I'm like having all these ideas because you could take almost any workshop or training and just throw it, just throw throw it in the dark. dark. Like, yeah. That's just going to add so much. Uh, what business are you in? I'm in the darkness business. Because <laughs> it's it's, it forces people out of your comfort zone. And, yeah. um, and they get they get yeah. more they get a more direct embodied experience. Right. Because you can go to like any workshop and you can be checked out the whole time. Yeah. And you're like kind of drawing, you're checking your phone, or you're just true. paying attention, and you just feel overwhelmed. But in the, the dark, yeah. it's really hard not to be present. <laughs> you know, and or so if you're, if you're not present, it'll you'll get reminded because you'll run into a wall yeah, or something. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember eating dinner there and knocking something over. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, I should have gone a little slower. Like I wasn't really paying, yeah. I wasn't really present, and I knocked this thing. And over. And, then, and that's the piece is like it's actually knocking something over and not having that moment of not being. Over, Bringing awareness and consciousness mm. to your movement in the dark, actually, it's like the Tibetan singing bell that rings you. Yeah. It reminds you. you yeah, know? I think it was a yeah. glass of water. <laughs> yeah, but um, the, I mean, the other thing I'm just thinking about to say again is just we we judge other people so much by how they look. You know, if you're meeting someone for the first time in the dark, wow. You know, because we we had a couple that would be a really cool that experience. met on an app in San Francisco, and then they decided that they would meet in the dark in <laughs> oh, person for oh, the first wow. time. And so they both showed up like kind of at different times for one of our San Francisco plan, you know, dinner, uh, concert in the dark dinner things. And uh, yeah, so they, uh, they both showed up and they said, and they talked to one of our people and they were like, I get this person on this app and we're, we decided to meet in the dark for the first time. <laughs> so we brought them like to their table. Okay. It was just a regular dating app that they okay. had met and they wanted to go on their first date and they decided to do it in the dark at our show. Cool. Right. Yeah. And so they met in the dark for the first time in person, and then about a year later, I'm back in San Francisco, same time of the year. I get this call like a week before the shows, and someone's like, "Hey, we had our first date in the dark a year ago, <laughs> um, and now we're getting married." Whoa. Yeah. He's like, "Oh no!" He was like, "I want to propose to my girlfriend." <laughs> He's like, "I want to do it in the dark." He's like, "Can we like when you light the candle at the end of your show?" Oh, wow. Can, can that be the moment where I kneel down and ask her to marry him? And I was like, sure. And so he brought some photographers. We had all these photographers like posed in the dark, <laughs> ready at their table. Like, you know, uh, like, because, you know, do the thing. I sit, uh, do the thing, does the thing, and we're all in the dark. And everybody's like, what's the thing? I like the candle, right? Light the candle, and then just like he gets down on his knees. And everybody, it was real close quarters in that show, too. Everybody was just like, whoa. And like he asked her to marry him, and it was just beautiful. Oh, We're all crying. I love that. Wow. Um, dozens and dozens of little stories and moments like that have been mm. happening, and uh, that's what I want to capture. Mm. You know? Yeah. So the the way you come out of the darkness is by lighting a candle. That's beautiful. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a thing. Yeah. What, what what is the longest amount of time you spent in pitch blackness? Um. The longest I've put people through the dark. In the beginning, I didn't time it. I was just like, let's see what the fuck happens. I was a lot more comfortable with seeing what happens. And, uh, I think we had people in the dark for three and a half hours once. Oh, yeah. It's a long time. It's a lot. And then I've, 
I put like a hundred, almost 200 people in the dark, 175 people in the dark oh, wow. at the same time, uh, way back in the beginning, because we just oh, had so many time. ticket sales. Wow. Uh, and my team after that was like, gosh, <laughs> there's too many people <laughs> in the dark. I was like, you were so right. <laughs> it was crazy. Well, that's a little, that's a lot, because if something happened, it's a lot of people. You know? We were just pushing the limits back in the beginning. You don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what else. Yeah. I, mean, I just did it. I did it as a one-off originally. I wasn't going to do it again. Great. Everybody started writing me from all over the country and asking me to bring it to them. I think it's a it's a service. You know, I think it's an experience that would you know really benefit more and more people. Like, I want to go back and do it again. I mean, there's a, there's a tradition, and you, I mean, you probably heard this in Tibetan Buddhism, of dark retreat. Mm-hmm. where you're in meditation retreat and you're supposed to be in pitch blackness and you're supposed to have, like, someone will, like, bring you food and put it in a little cubby and then you open it up so no light can get in and take it out. And, um, I think traditionally it would usually be done for, for a week, but there was a tradition doing it for, like, 49 days, wow. of which it was said at the end you're either enlightened or insane. <laughs> There's some saying yeah. like that. But, yeah, uh, I remember Reggie Ray at one yeah, of the Reggie, tattoos yeah. you talked about that. But it was, um, in part, like, I think what... Traditionally, people would do is like go through the dying process, like consciously, yeah, and have a death and rebirth. And apparently, you can—I haven't done it, but you could start. You start to see visual phenomena mm-hmm. that your mind is just creating without yeah. sources of light, and yep. you can relate to those. And yeah, um, the, you I, know, hope, I hope to do something like that one day. But I think it's becoming more known and more common and and talked about. And it's interesting with this this time of year, and is the darkest time of the year. Yeah, um, in terms of the nights being the longest, and I notice in myself resistance to that and I feel like our whole culture is in resistance to that like we have artificial lights we're 24 hour internet phone this and that so hard to wind down slow down relax you're really going against the grain to allow yourself to be in darkness or to do less yeah it's almost like everybody goes through a portal it's like someone was some grad student was was doing something I'm like um, what was it Uh, transitory experiences or initiative experiences mm. and it's like you have all these people that show up separate with their friend or their date or their, a lot of people bring their kids and then we pair them up a group of six now they're in that group mm. or eight people and then then they're brought into the darkness oh, and they're cool. sat at their table and they have to work together right and then uh, and there's the chaos of the yeah. sound and then we bring the presence they go through the uh, drop into their heart and really get their intellectual and heart piece yeah. together so you make a little team before yeah, you know, yeah. And, then, uh, and then we bring them into the music, which just shuts the mind off. Mm. Everybody, you know, these are listening in the dark concerts, so I, mm. I train the audience to be able to drop in and yeah. just feel the music, let go of your words. And it, people are able to experience listening and, you know, and feeling music on a level that they may not have since they were teenagers and they had a lot of time. Right. And, you know, and you're really feeling the music. And, uh, that's a good point so that gets people in their hearts mm. and then we have everybody singing their, you know at the top of their lungs the final song we do the light and, and I'm like alright you guys are ready to do the thing that's the thing that makes it all happen everybody's like what's the thing because I've been teasing <laughs> it all night and we light the candle and they're like Phew. suddenly everybody's spatial awareness kicks in and it's like we're all looking at each other like like we got woke up from some collective dream or something, you know? Yeah. And then, so I let that simmer for about two, three minutes now. Huh. And then have people share with each other what came up for them at their tables. And then a few people t- from each table share with the room. Yeah. And that 
we only started doing that like the last three years or so ten years that we've been doing it. That's but that was like the final piece that we'd always been missing. Ah. Is that like kind of little deep reef, re, uh, whatever. That's a special moment when you first bring light back in because that's yeah. like the yeah chance. And everybody's so present oh. <laughs> compared to like like that's what you look like the way they, the way they arrive. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have like try to guess what each other looks like, <laughs> and then they're like. Let's guess what we each other, what we describe each other, what we imagine oh, yeah. from our voice, and then find out. <laughs> so and we have a group of people in Austin, Texas. They come every time. It's like these three girls and two guys. They come, and they take photos of themselves out in the light. Mm. They go in the dark, and then they come out with each other's clothes on, like a mixed match of each other's clothes, <laughs> and they take photos afterwards. Oh, funny. And then, I, don't they do. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. But. <laughs> That'd be um, the change clothes. Well, I love, I love the. Authentic relating, the bringing people together, like building a little team and the relating and being community. And I mean, honestly, that's, I think, kind of a downside of a lot of spiritual meditative traditions like Buddhism, where a lot of practices are done kind of on your own and you're missing the interpersonal piece. And I think that can be kind of create problems. Like we really need to integrate and bring them together. And mm-hmm. it's good to have both. I mean, it's good to have yeah. time and solitude, but it's, it's really good to have time, intentional building presence where you're actually relating and connecting to other people because that's so yeah. much of our life. We're social creatures. Yeah. And um, I think that... That's what's so amazing about the art, the AR stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's all these skills. And I've been studying with this... Uh, I've been studying the art of conscious loving with, uh, with this teacher, Charles Muir, hmm. and uh, Leah Piper. They're these male and female teachers from starting in the 60s. But uh, it's, like a ton- it's like a type of tantric work. And, there's all this beautiful work of like how to like do these simple uh, very kitchen sink level skill sets. Oh, yeah. You know, stuff you can do. Mm. Kitchen sink meaning it's like it's very direct. It's not like some spiritual idea. You can actually bring these things and and they're very tangible, much like Chogyam's teachings, mm. and apply them to your life and, and and be able to bring more presence <coughs> and open up and connect with your partner more. That's beautiful. However, that work is really deep work. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of just, like, beautiful practice for lovers, but, you know, uh, the communication, authentic relating work, that, and then now I'm, I'm doing a training with, uh, doing partner yoga this weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, not acro yoga, but a little bit more partner yoga. It's a little bit, mm. it's different. Yeah. And it's really about connecting with each other. Mm. And I realize that yeah. the partner yoga piece and the authentic relating piece is, like, the foundational piece that uh, the more art and conscious loving work would need more of a foundation on that. So, oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah. Like, 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 yeah. yeah. It's foundational. Yeah. Well, being in our body is, is pretty foundational to any yeah. kind of work like that, I think. Yep. Hmm. That's beautiful. There's a lot of cool ideas here. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a lot in there, man. There's a lot in there. Um, but, uh, but for me, uh, I've always, I've, I did the blank ethics. I want to do a concert in the dark. And I mm. uh, made friends with a spoken word artist who was blind. Mm. And he wanted to do that. And, you know, we happened to start, have a little conversation in the dark with the audience. But um, really for me, like, when it comes to like the blind awareness piece or, uh, you know, the social impact discussion in the dark, uh, until recently when I've really started to bring a lot of the uh, authentic relating kind of mm. perspective and teaching mm. my team that uh, I just left it up to the blind my friends that are blind mm-hmm. to that's your window do what you want with it 
And it's been amazing to see it. Yeah. And because people are like, oh, you do blind awareness, or did you know somebody's blind? It's like, no. I never <laughs> thought about blindness. I'm not, you know, I, I care. Do I care about blindness? I care about people feeling connected. Mm. And, uh, or, and then, and helping myself and other people feel more connected and less disconnected. And this form of the darkness is an amazing experience because it's not just the blind and the sighted people yeah. interacting. It's like, yeah. it's the music piece. It's the, trans- yeah. it's the transmission. Uh, it's the rim- it's this relationship with the self that starts to become aware. Yeah. And, uh, and then all the other crazy shit we could do in the dark with it. Yeah. So I thought of something, maybe this is a good window into what I was trying to talk about in terms of letting go of concepts, but mm-hmm. if you're in a space of total blackness, for a period of time you're going to lose that sense of spatial location mm-hmm. that our visual sight kind of does. And that I think, I think that's really profound, actually. Yeah. Like our consciousness is not limited. It's not here versus there. It's, it's, it transcends that. Yeah. And so and there's a lot to discover yeah. there. Once that all that vision is taken yeah. away for a few minutes, like we, the whole the whole kind of duality of me and you, it's kind of it's it seems very obvious in, in our vision, our visual field. Yeah. So to take that away, it's like all of a sudden, hmm, maybe it's not like that. Yeah, we should do a we should do a podcast interview in the dark. Yeah, we should see what that's like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I took over the conversation and just kind of ranted, but no, it's you good. asked. That's what you're here for. <laughs> yeah, but but really, like, you know, Black Cafe is epic, it's awesome. Yeah. But for me it's the it's the friendships, the relationships and the in the creative process of, of music that uh, and transmitting that to an audience in a way that like I feel that I could best create like a a container for people to uh, to be able to really get the transmission of my mm. particular style of songs. Go to a coffee shop, people on their, you know, on their phone, and their, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. And I could never do the bars because mm. uh, I'm drink and, and don't stay up late. So like yeah. my friend Dango uh, from Elephant Revival was doing all the circuits, you know, right. making his way up to Red Rocks and all that. And the whole time, and I was like, oh, what do I do with my music? And I was like, I guess I'm going to nowhere in Iceland <laughs> to like play for these random people. And I just trusted that because whenever I listen to my marching orders. What I mean by that is just this, it could be an intuitive nudge or like hmm. whatever that inner compass is, mm-hmm. that next right action. I would just hitchhike to a whole other country, don't know anybody, and do this random tour <laughs> that like I barely could communicate with them on Icelandic websites. Yeah. Uh, but, that, but it led to the Blind Cafe experience. Yeah. And, um, Listen and, to your intuition, I love that. Oh, yeah. That's or and it gives intuition, intuition can be. Confusing and sometimes uh, wrong. You can see, no, yeah. Yeah, for, for me, it's more the inner compass. Inner so compass. there's gut level stuff. Yeah. It's more of like a, I don't know, more deeper, like not understanding or understanding. Something but, beyond the rational, logical mind that yeah, like, gets some yeah, sense of yeah. this is the next thing. And I actually got this necklace to help. This is like a compass. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been like consciously trying to do that. Uh huh. Like, what like is my inner knowing? Yeah. And it's. It, you know, it takes a ri- it's taking risks. And yep. it's, it's a little scary, and sometimes it feels like it's maybe a mistake or wrong. Or but to, but there's like something new's happening when you listen to that. Yeah, I, I yeah. you know, I started the Blind Cafe in 2010, first you know, concert, and, 
everybody wanted to do it a month later, so I rallied and got people to do it again. And then I was I went to Esalen Institute oh, wow. uh, that in, two, in April of 2010. Uh, in California. Yeah, and I worked there for a couple months, did a permaculture training. And uh, I didn't really care about permaculture, but I just wanted to go <laughs> there and be in part of one of the programs. I graduated. And I was going to go off to Thailand to do this kickbox, uh, you know, Muay Thai kickboxing. Because oh, wow. I had been doing that. It was like the best shape I'd ever been before. And I'm, in, I'm at Esalen, and like, I'm learning about this permaculture stuff. And, and they do mind maps of like trees and house and the sun and the rain coming in. And you circle that and you see what inputs and what outputs are happening. And I ended up doing a big map of like FA okay. and trying to understand where value was being contributed and, and mm. feedback, positive feedback loop for everyone. Yeah. And uh, I got this voice in my head saying, go to Portland and start a blind cafe. And it was, I was, had tickets to Thailand. Oh. But it was so, that voice in my head was so intense, I just I quit all my plans, hitchhiked to Portland, Oregon, didn't know anybody. I got a job, just like uh, organic cracker factory, <laughs> like packing crackers, just like raw organic crackers. That's amazing. And that's how I paid my rent, and I found this venue willing to do the Blank Cafe. I ran around the town and put all these flyers everywhere. That's cool to hear about you moving or traveling without maybe knowing people there and just like, taking that risk. Yeah, because I traveled for like 15, 20 years before that. Wow. And so this, and this is how it happened. I would go to Portland or Austin or San Francisco. I'd go, like in Austin, I was, uh, I just moved there. I moved into a co-op with 23 yeah. people because I knew if you move into a co-op with 23 uh-huh. people, you, you have 100 friends soon enough, right? <laughs> and so I did that. And then I was... Uh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, and I was going to do the Blind Cafe in Austin. And I was at the university and I approached this woman that was blind, and she was like, uh, I, I don't know about it, but I have a friend. Let me, give me your number or something. She, you know, <laughs> I didn't know. I was, and I was like, I'm going to do this thing, you know. And, uh, and that ended up being Richie, uh, uh, one of the lead blind ambassadors and musicians that's been with me since the beginning. I love that word ambassador. Yeah. And that's great, he was like, let's get Thai food. <laughs> so I met him with Thai food. And you're like, I was supposed to be in Thailand. <laughs> yeah. And I was telling him about the Blind Cafe, and he's like, oh, I want to, he's like, let's do this, let's do this. And I'm like, I just need a chef. And then all of a sudden, from the booth behind us, this guy's like, I'm a chef. Because he was <laughs> listening to us. And then, like, this other guy wanted to do event coordination, and then we had a team. And then you were like, why are you listening to our conversation? <laughs> no. I, just, I don't know, I could just. That's amazing. And so, Did he become the chef? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the event coordinator. It was, oh, wow. like, it was, like, just remarkable. That's um, uh, synchronicity. Like, something that's more than a coincidence, you know, like a... Yeah, you, I don't know if you travel a lot, but when you travel, it's just all flow and intuitive. It opens you up to the compass wanna, kind of stuff. I want to travel more. I've done some, but um, I actually just got to go to Mexico, so I did get... And I experienced some that there. I met someone by total chance, it seemed, who had done this exact same coaching program I had done, like, a couple years after me. So right. I knew all these people in common, huh. and it was, for me, a synchronicity. It was like, this is not just a random yeah. meeting. It's like, wow, like, we know... 20 people in common, and and so it helped. It was just it was super cool. But yeah, yeah I think traveling opens you up to that. To, it's like you're you're just open to more possibilities for some reason. You're outside of your routines, your habits. Yeah, I noticed the way I lived for so long. So I heard I heard about something. I just thought of this. Um, there's new medical procedures that are helping some people who are blind to regain their sight, and mm-hmm. um, and that's wonderful. It's like this medical advance, or even people that might 
have been born blind, like, you know, when they're a baby, like, get their sight back. But then there's some people, I read this article about it a while ago, who are advocating that we shouldn't just do that all the time. That, like, blind people have their own culture and their own way of life that they developed in, like, Braille, and it would be a shame if, through medical advances, that was totally lost. Like, some people actually can choose. Like, they want to choose to be blind, and they want yeah. to have kids who are blind. And, they, and there's this whole interesting thing about rights and culture and yeah. uh, choice and also, mm -hmm. like, human rights, because, like, if it's a child, is it unethical to have them stay blind if you if you could if you could restore their sight you know and all these these interesting questions but man that, that, let's bring that up when we do some uh some podcast stuff for the blind cafe with the blind okay. staff yeah because um i've heard i've spent 10 years with over sixty thousand people in the dark you know over the over that 10-year time sharing and discussing and talking with the blind staff so i've been hearing people ask questions like that and the blind staff sharing that oh. and a lot of them would say that no, I, I don't wouldn't want to. It'd be too jarring for them, or it'd be too. Oh, they would say no. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. Yeah, and, it, and it's different because like Richie from Austin, that guy I met, Typhu, he's hundred percent blind since he was a kid. So wow. he had, he, he's not he like, doesn't he he blind. He doesn't see. Was he born blind? Uh, I think he had some sight, but for the first year or so, but he oh. had a cancer thing. Oh wow! And so, but he doesn't see. Wow. Okay. So he doesn't see black. Not like blind towards the okay. light or or white or no sight at all. He just literally doesn't have that sense, huh. which blows my mind. I still don't know how to grasp that. Comprehend, yeah. Yeah. So for him, he grew up that way, huh. and so he's not struggling with what it used to be like when he had sight. Where other, my buddy Jimmy Jackson, lost his sight gradually. Uh, I had to go through that whole experience. So different. Yeah, yeah. Of like being in you know senior in high school and having to use his cane in front of other people. Wow. And like struggling with that identity, wow. yeah. And, uh, that's, and that sounds much more difficult. Yeah, and you know, and I've, so an interesting part of the thing with that is that we've had uh, local blind folks that want to join us or come check us out or be part of the blind mm. ambassador team. And we had this one guy, I think it's Trey or something. He was blind and he needed to use a cane, but he just like was didn't want to continue to use. He didn't want to use a cane because he didn't want people to see him that way. Oh, wow. And so then the blind staff at our shows kind of like start, kind of like encouraged him, give him a lot of love and acceptance. And we're like, you know, it's okay. You can be part of our team. Oh, cool. And so he like ended up using a cane. And, oh, cool. And then we've had like little blind kids, like eight-year-olds and ten-year-old blind kids at this uh, at this show in, in Dallas. and. Richie's, uh, Jimmy, after the show, the guy who lost his sight, like, gradually, was, like, uh, talking to their mom. The mom was, like, talking about how they were struggling with, you know, being seen as blind or not. And so he was giving the mom a really beautiful insight instead of, because the mom was kind of seeing blindness as a bad thing. Right, right. You know? And so, and so he was giving her a perspective yeah, that she could actually encourage and, and appreciate, and that could just be part of their unique experience. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so beautiful. Can we talk about something different? <laughs> like what? I don't know. Do we have any other non-darkness subjects? Get out of that. <laughs> I mean, it's such it's fascinating. Yeah. Right? Well, you're. I mean, you're a musician and artist. Do you want to? Anything about that you want to share? Uh, well, I did provide a song. Sweet. Um. And. Uh, yeah, the music. Music's important. 
let me okay, let me ask you this. What 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 moves you? What drives you? What gets you up in the morning? What gets up what gets me up in the morning is uh anxiety. Anxiety? Yeah, anxiety, fear, uh neurosis. Uh um, you straight out of bed you're just like pretty much. I've been doing this hypnotherapy stuff in the mornings and that's actually really been amazing to get me going differently. But online? But I just felt a lot my whole life. So I like really I don't know if you call it empathic or whatever, but you feel things a lot. Mm-hmm. And then with the ADD, I feel like every like twenty six people are talking to me all at the same time. So it's like throughout my days, it's like uh, sometimes can be really overwhelming. Yeah. And so, and I'm also just a lover. I just I just really want to connect. I've had trouble being able to stay in connection or be part of any kind of group thing or anything that I have to be reliable for. Mm. So I was just pushed through school, uh, all absolutely like, high school, you know, middle school, high school, and then. Uh, so I, I always like just kind of had to do my own thing and I wasn't able to kind of feel connected with other people. And so I was, yeah. you know, often, quite often our, your biggest, uh, void or challenge is, is, is your biggest gift and how you can help mm. others. Yeah. And so everything I do, bring friends together for camping trips or uh, blind cafes or uh, house concerts or whatever, it's like to help yeah. us all feel more connected. And for me, the music piece. It's like, like I'm writing a song now called uh, Like an Instrument, mm. which is about the subtlety of like getting to know a woman's or a partner's like body and skin as you go throughout it. And then, um, but at the end, uh, there's this line that came out there and I was just playing it once. It was like, uh, you know, if I didn't have the music to help me three times, I'd be dead from drugs. And it's like, uh, it's true. like. I don't know how how people process or move through their emotional challenges without writing songs. It's the only way I know. So for me, I have to write my songs for mental health. Music, and uh, it's the only way I can really move, you know, transmute things or whatever. And yeah, uh, I think it's I think it's why people really feel deeply to them because they're. I can't sit down and write a song. Mm. For me, it's this long, painful like birth. Mm. Pregnancy or whatever. It's coming out, sometimes coming out of pain, sobering. Yeah, yeah, and just like sitting with it and moving yeah. through it. And, um, so, like, your creative process is almost like you're, like, you don't have a choice. Like, you said you'd be dead. Yeah, it's a tool. It's a tool. Yeah, I mean, I've never really drank much or so pot or whatever, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's some, been some periods where I couldn't write music. Yeah. And I was so unhappy. Mm, unhappy. Unhappy, yeah, and I could see, like, oh, like, and then, like, there's a moment, like, where I learned to drink, like, uh, really good, like, dark beer for a while, and I was, like, mm-hmm. enjoying it. Yeah. But then, like, I had, like, some upsetting situations, and I was writing songs, and I was like, oh, this is why everybody's struggling with alcohol. Because yeah. you can drink beer, and you shut it down. Right. And it shuts it off. And I was like, yeah, oh, that was interesting. Temporarily, sometimes, yeah. I just never really got it, because mm-hmm. alcohol was always... And so... Uh, yeah, so, you know, being able to understand ourselves and understand our experiences or, or look at those, you know, parts of our lives that are challenging or upsetting or traumatizing. Uh, and you made a choice at some point to not drink at all? I just never, I just, it's just, in high school, all my friends would drink beer out in the woods and they'd get excited and have all this energy and I'd want to go to sleep. Uh, so, I would, yeah. Uh, so, 
let me let me ask you a question that I've asked some guests on the podcast. That I think it's an awesome question. Okay. It's not original to me, but what is, what is one let's see experience or time in your life that you would never wish on anyone else? Like something really difficult that you went through, but that led to that you'd also want to change for the world because it led you to where you are now. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think that that's a thing. Um, I guess uh, the, mo- the one that's most immediate is that uh, after seven years of like just being on tour every weekend, all over the country doing Black Cafe, I I hit burnout, hmm. and that's a real thing. It's actually a real physical thing. When you're, you felt it in your body. No, I mean it's like it's like I guess it's it's a fucking real thing. It's not just like I got tired or got overworked. <laughs> it's like you literally drain your uh, adrenaline. Or Adrenals? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh and I just collapsed. I, I just oh. couldn't I couldn't uh I just became I went from like drama all the way, doing everything and then I just I things grew bigger than I could handle. I didn't have the skill sets to mm. to really help Black Cafe get where it was going and and I just worked myself to a point where I became burnt out and I uh, just uh became completely on a full-blown anxiety depression anxiety and then I was depressed because the anxiety kept me from being able to do what I want Mm. and I was dropping the ball on everybody Mm. and then when you start dropping the ball on everybody and you're no longer reliable Mm. you lose connection and it was really confusing and I didn't understand what was happening and so Mm. and I I, I just when when was that this was 2017 in the fall yeah I had a friend that was working you were, with me. You were uh, three years too early because if that had hit when the pandemic hit, it would have been perfect. <laughs> well, the pandemic kind of was perfect for me because I spent 2000, I mean, after the burnout, I, like a woman that I love with just all my fucking heart, uh, Alicia, she passed away. Oh, my God. And uh, that December 2017, from after she had been struggling with a, a heroin, and oh, wow. it was a real violent death. And, and then... Um, uh, the guy I've been working with me for a couple of years, you know, like I had to fire him and found out he'd been stealing money from us oh, for like a bunch of years. And so, wow. And he went around and like wrote it. Those are two really big things. Yeah, he went around and told all these like a long time venues and relationships, you know, saying all sorts of terrible stuff about us. Uh-huh. So I had to get a lawyer and cease and desist. And I just I started clapping that like dignity, mm. uh, humility scale thing. And, mm. and I, I just, I'd be in front of an audience and I'd be like doing my thing and I'm just like and I was just like I can't do this and I just like handed the Richie and I walked out huh. like I just became like you hit a wall yeah and my self-esteem was shot oh, wow. and uh, so I, I spent 2018 and 19 rebuilding my self-esteem like screaming affirmations in the mornings mm. you know Tony Robbins teaches affirmations I never really gave it a real shot yeah. But I needed to, and I did yeah. that, and then I went to this thing in Bali, this uh, A-Fest thing, and I found this uh, life book program, which is, uh, you know, the backbone of that program and the work is uh, Nathaniel Brandon, huh. who's uh, one of the top, like, you know, psychotherapists around uh, self-esteem and romantic love. Hmm. And I just literally did this exercise and just got me, you know. Nathaniel me. Brandon? Nathaniel Brandon, yeah. Oh, that's um, I wouldn't wish 
people that feel that wow. unable to. Because when you're when you're depressed and you're really depressed, you feel like you can't, like there's nothing that you can do that'll actually make you feel better. Yeah, right. It's awful. It's tough. It's really tough. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's an easy one for me to jump to for your question. Yeah. Almost. No, I appreciate you sharing. I mean, it sounds like you were betrayed by a long time coworker, associate, whatever partner, and yeah, it's awful. Classic. The death of your girlfriend, but yeah. Yeah. It's really rough. Yeah, I'm watching watching her struggle and die of heroin. We had dated like ten years before that, but then in two thousand seven. But then she, str- I watched her struggle and picked, I pick her up at rehab up in Greeley or whatever. And uh, every like year or two, I would pick her up there. And she's when she's straight, she'd be like so thin, she'd be like seventy two pounds or something. She's like, she's, you know, one hundred and ten or something. And I would bring her, I brought her to Chivalry Center every time got one of the rooms, and I'd just bathe her, just take care of her. We wouldn't make love or reconnect. It was just, wow. and I'd just like take care of her. She struggled emotionally the way I do, mm. and the way some other people I know do. And uh, I, uh, if I, I guess if I didn't have the music to help me through those hard times, I would, you know, if, I think if I ever took heroin, I would be gone, mm. you know, because it wouldn't work too well. Well, yeah. It sounds like you found a lot of ways to help yourself, a lot of tools, a lot of teachers, a lot of things. Yeah. Now I want to share it. Now mm-hmm. I'm in a place where, like, okay. So you feel like you've kind of gathered your energy back, and now you're ready to give again. Yeah. I worked on the farm during the pandemic when there were no shows. Yeah. It was great. That's awesome. Got me back in my body, remember who I am without this big, epic thing. Uh, and then now I'm getting to a place where I feel... Um, you know, could about who I am again. You're gonna humility. get back to touring? Is that what you I think that we will going forward for Blind Cafe, I mean last 2018-19 we started getting a lot of private events. Mm. Uh, like uh, we did Katy Perry's birthday. Party. Oh yeah, I saw that on your website. Katy Perry the I didn't even know who she was. <laughs> she she's a celebrity. Yeah. And uh, I found out afterwards, but um So you, you met know. her, right? What's that? You got to meet her? Yeah, yeah, we we did a concert for her and her like uh, bandmates and her like hairstylist and her like massage person and all that. <laughs> they were doing these two like ten thousand person stadium shows, Jeez. and on like Wednesday and Thursday, and her birthday was that Tuesday. And we were in Chicago already, and they called us and wanted to do it. Cool. And we were doing it at this mall that closed at nine p.m. And like, they asked us if we would open up the mall to stay later so they could do it for her. And I was like, No, I'm sorry. I don't know who Kate Perry is, but this guy at the mall is not going to do that. And they're like, but we're Katy Perry. And I'm like, and you're like, you don't know who that is? And I'm like, I'll, I'll call him and I'll ask. And I call him. And he's like, no, you're crazy. And they opened up the entire fucking mall for an extra four hours that night so she could have her show. It's it cool was, that you didn't know who she was, so you weren't like yeah. starstruck. It was a little weird. <laughs> you know, security team came like a couple hours earlier and making sure everything's... Safe and but uh, but yeah, she loved it. And uh, I went out and got a cake. Oh, cool! And, uh, and that's what I lit in, in the dark as a kid. Oh, cool! And we all, it was cool. And, yeah, um, but you know, fuck Katy Perry. I mean, Katy Perry, awesome, go for it. But <laughs> um, but really, the, the magic moments that uh, you know that's happened over the years is nobody's seen. Mm. 
and it's the relationships between uh, myself and the master of darkness and everybody who comes together to pull off a show. Just, so I going forward, we will probably like build like three or four teams that will go do the private events, mm. right? Which is are super potent and amazing. And we, we do Columbine High School every year. Oh, really? We have a program with them. Oh. We have like we have the final two hours for the senior high school experience and but I'll just do a tour and do like some choice shows yeah with all my best musicians and the team that fly out with them like you have a good plan and you're ready to go and uh I don't know Uh, I know I'm supposed to pause more pause more yeah like take more rests or breaks or yeah yeah so that way you can cut things if you need to or I don't know yeah (laughs) I want to learn how to be more articulate. <laughs> a you're little doing great. More space. <laughs> I like. I just. I, it's interesting about the celebrity culture and how the best moments in the Blank Cafe. Of course, like no one is filming that or seeing that even. Or yeah, yeah. it's not not what it's about. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good message to share because we we forget that all the time. Yeah, you know, Dango uh, Dango Rose from Alpha Revival is awesome amazing friend he plays in my band now he's actually working for the Blind Cafe lately and he's like let's get the big you know the famous musicians in there and everything yeah and I'm like maybe yeah I can get some of them in there if they're cool and we can connect with them but mm-hmm. I'm like Blind Cafe is not like weak we don't have to rely on some name right because there's something really right. beautiful and potent about being a I don't know not an ominous but like uh, just being in the dark and not having all that. Not making it about a name or like an idea. a conceptual idea yeah, or something. Yeah, we're back to the world of concepts, really. Yeah. yeah. So, I have a question. Yeah. What do you want to do with me? What do I want to do? Yeah, like, I feel like we're supposed to help, or we're supposed to somehow bring people together to connect in physical form in yeah. some way. Um, yeah. You can also say, so you can say, no, I don't want to do anything with you. <laughs> and then I'll say, thank you for taking care of yourself. <laughs> I don't know if I idea. I, I, like, I like, I mean, this thing around building community, deepening relationships, bringing people together, that's been a passion of mine. And, and it feels at times like, like going against the stream or the grain because our culture is so individualistic and, and uh, so I've, I've come to a place of just kind of accepting like communities come together and communities go apart. People are born and people die. Yeah. You have a good friend and then maybe you drift apart and that's okay and that's a part of life. So I'm entering a new place where I'm no longer feeling like we have to make some huge big revolution and mm. we're going to start an organic farm and create the perfect community. It's like, no, we're already in community. We're already here. We're already connecting. We're relating. People are listening are feeling us and connecting with us and how do we that's your recognize yeah. the love that's already here and build on that? Yeah. And that we don't need to like reject things or rebel against things or try to reinvent the wheel. Mm. It's too much, you know? I like this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been curious about you and I know you're like, you're a fucking powerhouse in, in some um, way behind the like, you know, try. more quieter, <laughs> non-annoying version of me. <laughs> and uh, I've just, I've always been like, Doing, you know something. We've been talking about doing this. We've been talking about doing this podcast for like a year or so. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. been a while. It's been a long time coming. Uh, so, so I've, I've just been curious about uh, 
your experience around that. So it's great to hear that. I mean, because yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing, nothing stays. I guess that's, that's what's like. Slid, yeah, the solid. Yeah. I guess that's what's coming through me more and more at the moment. Of like, if you like, uh, if you're like, I want more connection or I want more community. It can. There's a, there's often like a belief or a sense that you don't have any connection or community. And then maybe you and need so, if you like build this farm or this version yeah. of this community, you'll have some sense of certainty that you won't. Or if you you want a romantic relationship, you don't yeah. have one, for example. Whatever it is for you, but yeah. that sense of lack, it's not accurate. It's not true. Yeah. Like we're already all connected. Like let's start there. We just gotta create some magic moments for each other and appreciate yeah. those and watch them disappear. Yeah, yeah. That's it. There you go. I like that. You know, nothing's gonna stay. <laughs> You know, and it's, it's, uh, I think that's a liberating thing for me, anyways, as always been. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, well, it's been great having you on. Yeah. Maybe we should end it here. Okay. Part one. Let's do it, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to play one more song from Rosh called Halfway There. And as always, if you want to learn more about this podcast, check out thestateofmindpodcast.com. Check out our Patreon page and look at the show notes for more information and links. Find out more about my work as a therapist and meditation teacher at estateofmindcounseling.org. Thank you so much. Here's the song, Halfway There, from Rush. Halfway there